Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. Move, readjust, reevaluate, adapt and overcome. I mean, it sounds like a bunch of buzzwords, but for real, it's what you have to do in order to run a restaurant in general, much less run a profit one during a global pandemic and then a hurricane. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. The pandemic decimated our industry on a global scale, and for many of us, it was the first time Mother Nature played a major role in the way we do business. But if you had grown up in southern Louisiana, you've been conditioned after countless natural disasters to safeguard your family and your business against the unpredictable nature of the changing tides. Today we chat with Chef Isaac Toops, a Louisiana native and restaurateur who offers a masterclass in what it means to be resilient in the face of overwhelming odds and the courage it takes to rebuild from scratch again and again. I got to admit that it's my wife who's so savvy at social media. She just kind of joined on it and realized very quickly that social media is a big presence nowadays. Instagram, more than Facebook right now, Twitter. You have to have all of these for a modern restaurant. You don't have to have these. They help you out. It's another tool to get out there for what I call advertising. So when I go do Top Chef or I go do the Today Show, I think of these as advertising, as a way of getting myself out there. Podcasts, I do a little bit of everything. Everybody calls me up. The whole ideal of Tubes Meadery and Team Tubes was do everything. Everything someone asks you, unless they're asking for money, do it all. <laughs> so I don't care who calls me up. Hey, can you jump on the phone for an interview? Hey, can you come shoot this video? Absolutely. Because you never know who's listening and you never know what's going to take off. So do everything within your power. But you know other chefs and you know that that isn't the conventional wisdom, right? Like most folks just want to specialize in what they got into this to do. And they don't see marketing as a central element of their business, right? I mean, so many of us open restaurants hoping for the best and assume that if it's good enough, people will find out. But that doesn't really seem to be your strategy. Well, the tricky part is that a lot of chefs don't get that type of training. They don't get the training for making money either. Chefs get trained to make good food and put it out in a professional manner. But it kind of ends right there. And I'm not sure. I never went to culinary school, so I'm not sure how much they touch up on those things. But it's stuff you have to figure out on your own. And a lot of people never catch on. Some people's restaurants close. They might be a good chef, great chef, killer food, didn't make money, spend it somewhere else. Or he didn't have the social media presence to let everybody know, hey, you were there. As much social media presence I have, I still people tell me all the time, like, hey, I loved you on Binging with Babish or I loved you on Munchies, but I didn't know you had a restaurant. I'm like, well, that's a failure right there. Got to make sure when I go do these things that I, I mention, like, and click the link below, I have a restaurant. I'm not just a pretty face. How'd you meet your wife, Amanda? We were college buddies. One of my best friend was in a art school with her and invited her over to have some beers like you do in college. And then we 
dated and then gotten married. We've been together 21 years. You guys work together, right? What does she do for the company? She runs the financials. She does the social media and she takes care of some of the, the front of house projects. I'm the face of the company. I take care of all the food in the back of the house. And we really just kind of bounce everything off each other. You know, she's there to taste some of the food. and She's brutally honest with me. Sometimes hurts my feelings. But at the end of the day, I know it's for the better. She's very opinionated and I love her to death. And she is a go-getter. Her nickname behind the scenes is Demanda. Uh, she, de- <laughs> she demands and she gets her way and the restaurant's better for it. So don't get in her way. Get out of her way. And you'll be better off for it. Let's talk about that because that's a really interesting dichotomy. And I would assume that a lot of chefs listening and a lot of restaurateurs as well haven't found that person in their life that can balance them out and do all of the things well that they're incapable of doing. Where do you think that should fall on somebody's list of priorities? What happens is you know, you're not good at everything. I'm sure some psycho out there is good at everything. you got to figure out the things I'm good at. I'm good at cooking. I'm good at communicating. I'm really good at passing my knowledge on to my chefs. I'm a good captain of the pirate ship. And if you're not good at something, find somebody who is good at that and partner with them. I can't make desserts to save my life. So I have one of my sous chefs make desserts. I can't plate to save my life. So I have other people help me out with those things. I'm not that great with social media. My wife is. So I bounce those ideas. You get a, what's called what's hard for chefs, check your ego. That is tough for chefs. We are egotistical, maniacal human beings. That's, that's kind of how we are. I don't need any help. I'm immortal. I'm bulletproof. Can't help me. Well, you know what? We do need help. And it's hard to admit that you need help, but you got to get that help. You got to find those people who are willing to have that skill set in order to help you out. Talk to me about the financials of the business because you guys serve incredible food. You've got an aggressive menu in an incredibly competitive market. How do you make money and keep money when the quality of the food has to be at such a high level? Uh, it's real easy. You have to charge accordingly. It's all of these numbers. You have to figure out. You have to have good food costs. And yes, I use high quality ingredients. Well, you've got to pay for that. And that's one of the things that I was very worried about. When I first opened up, I was worried about pricing myself out competition like why I would charge this amount when I go there well I got over that really quick when it started like oh well we need to make money well it's the only way to make money in a restaurant is to sell food you have to sell a lot of it at a lower price or a little bit of it at a high price and I don't cheat anybody any customers out of anything I just recently raised prices to get everybody at the meter a raise because everybody went through COVID worked extra hard no one said anything people don't complain about the prices here because we have such a good quality of food so you got to have that backup I like a $6 greasy hamburger. I also like the $13 bistro burger. When I like them, I better pay that much for it. I don't mind paying good money for, like, let's say, oysters. They're expensive, but they're delicious. But they better be shucked properly. So there's this give and take. Talk to me about that fear. Because, I mean, coming out of southern Louisiana, to go all the way back like Hurricane Andrew, then Hurricane Katrina, a global pandemic, there are so many things that have hurt the economy in southern Louisiana. And my question to you would be, how do you brace? How do you make sure that you're running a stable business? Friendly advice I give to every restaurateur is you look at that money every single day. Because if you don't look at it every single day, within a week, you'll be drowning. If you're busy, you have staff. If you don't have busy, you have to cut that staff. What hurricanes have done is like make you really hurt, especially Hurricane Ida, with COVID, back-to-back, number one, two punch. You have to learn how to tilt real quick. You've got to be able to tilt on your toes. you got to be able to adjust your game plan. So first day of pandemic hit, shut the restaurant down. Okay, we're going to go food. Get some to-go boxes. Let's readjust the menu to make it easier 
to put out and let's get it faster because I still have employees to pay for. Hurricane hit, ran out of power, you get a generator. Nobody has any food. I set up the crawfish pots and crowdsourced some food so we can feed people. We fed probably close to during the pandemic and hurricane, think something around 50,000 people and we crowdsourced it all. Meanwhile, still being able to pay my employees and, and keep the building afloat. So it's that ability to torque, move, readjust, reevaluate, adapt and overcome. I mean, it sounds like a bunch of buzzwords, but for real, it's what you have to do in order to run a restaurant in general, much less run a profitable one during a global pandemic and then a hurricane. Let's talk about community and let's talk about it from an industry perspective. So I came up in the hospitality community in Southern Louisiana and it was very communal and like people learned things and they shared things with each other. It was a very warm, encouraging environment, which is what inspired me to get into it and stick with it initially. Then I moved to Los Angeles. It's a far more competitive market. There's a little less community, a lot more hoarding of information, but that was never really the case that I found, at least in Southern Louisiana. And I would argue that post-pandemic, as an industry, we've come together in a much stronger way. And I'm curious to know, how have you leveraged that community to become a better chef and a better business owner in New Orleans? I can't say I put that much thought into it. I, I didn't have this like altruistic moment where we have to feed the community. It was straight up. I heard some cooks. And this is exactly how it happened. We had to let go two cooks. We kept all the management. But we had to shut down the restaurant. We had to make that sacrifice. I said, look, guys, can't afford to pay you. So I got a furlough right now. Luckily, we hired everybody back pretty quickly. But I said, look, come here every day, twice a day. We always have family meal for each service. We do that before pandemics and whatnot. You just have a meal. It's part of the whole restaurateur family thing. You have a meal. I said, come here, have family meal. I'll make extra. No big deal. Well, they give me a call. Chef, my roommate, he got furloughed too, but he doesn't have any food. Well, I said, well, look, I normally make 10. I'll make 15. The next day it was 30. The next day it was 60. And then we said, okay, we lit out on social media. And then we started getting donations and we started getting funded. And it happened organically. I found out some people weren't eating and that drove me nuts. I'm like, screw that. I'm a Cajun boy. I got giant crawfish pots. We made red beans and brisket. We made turkey gumbo. It was like an episode of Top Chef. I needed to feed 500 people today. I got two crawfish pots and a bunch of donated meats and proteins and vegetables. Go. And we made these big, wacky stews. They were all delicious. They were all hot. They were all seasoned. I made stuff that I couldn't even think of making today. I should put in the next cookbook. But it was just part of that. You got to have each other's backs. And especially in the food service industry, there's no backup plan. You know, if your restaurant shuts down, well, that's it. You don't have a job. There's no catch. So we have to catch ourselves. And pretty soon we weren't turning away anyone. You work in the hospital, you need a bite to eat. We feed the firefighters, we feed the, the disaster relief workers. It didn't matter. We didn't start checking, like, oh, you're in the food service industry? No, I don't care. You're hungry, we're going to feed you. End of story. What does your life look like day to day? How do you spend your time? Wake up, take the kids to the bus stop, come to work. I don't really have set days off as a restaurateur who owns his restaurant. My father would say, you own your own business? You can pick any 90 hours a week you want. And that's true. And so we work continuously. Even if I'm having a glass of wine at the house, I got to respond to an email. You got to take the phone call. Sometimes I'm coming to work on Sundays. I try to take Sundays off. Had to work last Sunday. So you got to be have that flexible. And some weeks I'll have a crew in here. I don't have to lift a finger. And then two weeks ago, I had two sous chefs out sick and one on vacation and had to work three weeks straight, all doubles. So... Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's lean, and sometimes it's not. But I love it because it's organized chaos. 
Something's always happening. I'm going to get a phone call here in a minute. What, who's that? What broke? Call the plumber. Son of a gun. Dishwasher didn't show up. Guess I'm washing dishes tonight. So a good day. I come in. I check on some things. I taste some food. I go home at the end of the night. Bad days. I'm here all day. I'm doing everything myself, and I'm going crazy. Prior to the pandemic, I could barely use my iPhone. I'm a restaurateur, not a tech guru. But over the last two years, we've seen that tech can play a vital role in helping us make more money and save money. And that tech can show up at some pretty unlikely places, like your kitchen sink. Dawn Professional is a detergent and degreaser that can help reduce your labor expense and your overhead on cleaning supplies through leveraging the latest technological innovation in cleaning products. Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser is specifically formulated to cut grease two times faster versus the leading food service degreasers. While Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, reducing sink changeover versus the leading competitor's professional dish soap. Save time and money by upgrading to Dawn Professional Manual Pot and Pan Dish Detergent and Dawn Professional Multi-Service Heavy-Duty Degreaser from PNG Professional. What does the future look like? And by that, I mean, like, what does your ideal scenario look like? What are you working towards? How many hours do you want to work? And what is your plan to get there? I'm trying to retire later on in life. And the goal is to retire with still loving to cook and not being burnt out. And I think I'm on that schedule, but you've got to diversify. You can make money in a restaurant, but you're never going to be able to retire in one. So we've got some investment properties. We were chasing the gator. My book just made its fifth printing. We were thinking about doing another book. I do some TV shows here and there, try to make a little bit of money off that. Social media, you can make money off that way. So you got to get out there. you got to have side hustles. You have to diversify your portfolio. I have a little bit invested in the stock market. I'm weary about that. I don't have any crypto. I don't have any NFTs yet. So we'll see how that plans out. But you got to have other things going on. Because, you know, your restaurant shuts down, you have to have a backup source of income. You got to have backups for your backups. I got backup money that I won't touch. When you look at your life and you look at the trajectory of your career, are there like one or two or three key decisions that you made that really informed the path that you're on today? Yeah. One of them was definitely moving to New Orleans. So I'm from the Lafayette area. Of those you don't know, if you go past Baton Rouge on, on I-10, you keep going, you hit Cajun country. And that was an eye-opening experience for me. Because I had been in New Orleans, but I only lived in the French Quarter as a tourist, really. Never really spent that much time in New Orleans. And Amanda, my girlfriend, my wife now at the time, was like, hey, if you want to take your culinary career seriously, we should go to New Orleans. And that made the most sense. New York's too far away, too cold. Chicago, I have no idea. So New Orleans just made sense on so many levels. And that's when I got my real culinary training. I say after that, I just happened to walk into one of Shepard and Molagasi's restaurants. And then I just put my head down for the next 10 years. I went from working the fryer to being second in command. And I think that whole decision just to put my head down, not do as much partying as everybody else, really take this seriously, start educating myself, really put myself through the ringer, tasting food, asking questions. In the culinary world, you really make it yourself. You have to do a lot of it yourself. You have to self-train and really get after it. I know people who've been cooking longer than I've been alive who still can't cook. The second decision was definitely opening our own restaurant. And we weren't ready for it when we opened our restaurant. We thought we did. We thought we did because I can cook, right? And I've been a chef. And my wife was a French wine scholar. Well, we got food and wine. What else do we need? We didn't have anything, any clues about advertising, 
And then money we knew a little bit about, but we didn't know about taxes. So we had to get a CPA. Hence, you know, we got to get lawyers. You got to build a good team. So the first couple of years, we were faking it until we made it. And then we figured it out very quickly uh, due to financial reasons to how to really crank it down. Sometimes that means I'm working for months straight. And sometimes that means you're going to make tough decisions. I've had to fire friends. I've had to kick family members out of the restaurant. I've had to tell people no, hard no's. You get purveyors in here, try to bully you, try to screw you out of some money. Friends calling in favors that you didn't know you had. You become a real savvy and sometimes shrewd business person in this industry. And uh, I think those two decisions right there, I tend to jump into things before I'm ready for them and then figure it out on the way. I did the same for being a chef. I did the same for being a restaurateur and everything else. We just kind of were a company phrase is too dumb to be scared. We're not scared. <laughs> um, we are fairly paranoid. What did you learn by working in Emerald's organization? What did you internalize that you brought into your own restaurant? The biggest lesson I've learned from working for Emerald was how to take care of your people. You take care of your people and they will take care of your restaurant or business. So from right on the bat, there's always in a lot of restaurants, there's fighting in the front of the back of the house. And I put a stop to that. I said, we're not going to have this two teams. It's one team. It's team tubes. So we had this big thing of mine. It's like there's no cat mouthing in front of the house and back house throwing each other a bus. It doesn't make for a good restaurant or a good service. Take care of your people. And what that means the most time is give them respect. Let them have some say-so in what's going on. I never yell. No one's ever heard me yell maybe one time. Something has to go like horribly bad for me to yell. You give them respect and freedom, pay them. You'd be surprised how money. <laughs> That's what employees want. People ask me, what do employees want? You've got a great team. I'm like, yo, yes, yeah, magic and use buzzwords, but they like to be paid. You pay them well, you treat them with respect. That's really all that matters. I want to talk about the culture of cuisine. So everything I owned in LA was inspired by my upbringing in Louisiana. There's something really interesting about serving food that's connected to people's families and their childhoods. People walking up into the kitchen, that's not how you make gumbo. My grandmother makes gumbo like this. This is how you should make it. You know, I always say, well, bring her in. Let's see how she gets through a Saturday right. night push, <laughs> right? Let's throw her on the line and see how she does. Yeah. But that constant criticism taught me a lot about myself and about how I would define success for me as a restaurateur and for my restaurant. And I can't imagine that you don't have people knocking on your kitchen door, too. And if that's the case, how do you deal with that criticism? And what has it taught you about whether or not you're doing a great job? What it taught me is to ignore a lot of criticism from a lot of people who don't know what they're talking about. I get haters all the time on YouTube videos or like, oh, that's not Cajun gumbo, that's Creole gumbo. I'm like, oh, who would know better? Me, the professional Cajun chef. So very early on, I would read all the reviews about the restaurant. Well, that was a bad thing for me, honestly, because I could read 100 good reviews, read one bad one, it would ruin my day. So I did this thing. I stopped reading all reviews whatsoever. And I listened to my wife, who is never going to lie to me, and I listened to my loyal customers. They come in and say, chef, the dirty rice is a little off today. I'll go back and taste it. I'm like, you're right, it is off. I'm going to listen to the people that I respect. Instead of the randos on the internet, Again, I have a gumbo video out there, hit 5 million views. And before they took the dislike button off of it, I had a thousand dislikes on a gumbo video. And I went, two things. Like, who's going to dislike a gumbo video? I'm just sitting there making gumbo and you're going to say not like it because you don't like the way I make it. But then I thought like, hey, I've made it. I've got enough likes on this thing to get a thousand dislikes. <laughs> when you've got haters, you've officially made it a little bit. And that's a good thing. Like, yay, I've got the haters. I must have a decent following. So I don't worry too much about those near-do-wellers 
and especially the internet warriors and the trolls, you're always going to have somebody throwing you under a bus. Hey, that's not how you make gumbo. You're right. You know what? How do you do it in your restaurant is my big response. Oh, well, I don't have a, yeah, shut up. You don't have a restaurant. I do. I want to talk about your personal life and how you create balance. So you work with your wife, but how are you guys able to separate it out so that you're able to have a successful personal life and such a successful professional life? Well, we're lucky that we were together for 10 years before we opened up a restaurant. And I think that's essential. If we'd have gotten together at the same time we opened the restaurant, I don't know if it would worked. So we were already at a really good level of the relationship. So when we come in here and we argue, and we still argue, the biggest thing, though, is when you after being with your wife for 20 years, we argue and then it's immediately over. Screw you. Screw you. Okay, where are we going to eat? And we, we just drop it. None of this silent treatment for two days. Like when you're young, you don't, I'm just not going to talk to her for a week or bring up something that happened years ago. Like, you know what? That's just being mean. So it's all about we're better restaurant tours because we're better a couple. And we understand that we will have those disagreements and not to take them to the grave or not to take them too seriously. And if you come to an impasse, like, okay, well, is it this worth our restaurant? Is this worth our relationship? No, nothing's worth our relationship. So sometimes you got to make those hard decisions. Sometimes you disagree. We disagree with stuff all the time. Keep it professional. When you look back on your career, are there key mistakes you made that other people could learn lessons from? I've made all the mistakes. I could write a book about all the mistakes I've made. Mistakes I've made were letting toxic people stay in your restaurant for too long. And then when you finally get rid of them, there's a big sigh like, oh, I should have gotten rid of that person years ago. Bad habits that you're afraid to change because you don't like change. Well, be prepared for some change. you got to be flexible. If something's not working, don't throw more money at it just for it to not work. If it's not working, I shut down the restaurant right before the pandemic. It was complete right move. And the only reason I held on to it longer because I thought, well, now I'm a failure because I lost a restaurant. Now I look at it as just a, bit, a good business maneuver. And yes, I lost some money on it. And I was a little sad about it at first. But now since the COVID the pandemic has happened, the hurricanes have happened, it was the best move I ever made. Sometimes you got to cut it off so it doesn't bring your other places down. So come at it with an open-mindedness. Be open-minded. Always look at the money and always take care of your people for probably like the top three. Have you guys struggled to hire folks recently? Hiring has always been an issue and COVID did not help. So we, again, had to tweak the system. So it was very difficult finding line cooks. The normal pay wasn't right. So we increased our amount of pay. And then like, you know what? We'll bring on another manager because that's even more pay, but you work more shifts. So we had to tweak our already tweaked workforce into something that makes sense for us. So pay increases, no problem. We added that onto some of the menu items to counterbalance for it. So that's what we did. And right now I'm staffed up. Are you guys farming talent? Are you bringing in people that are untrained? The best people I've ever worked with are some of the people that I took off the street, had no culinary training, and it's called Grow Your Own. And line cooks are better when you grow them yourself. They don't come in with any cockiness. They don't come in with any bad habits. If you come in my restaurant with work ethic and you want to work and you want to cook, I can show you everything else. All I need is work ethic. I don't need, you don't need to go to culinary school. I don't care if you've never worked at a restaurant before in your life. You got ethic, I got you covered. I can teach you to cook better than some of the people who have been in the nicest culinary schools and been cooking since they were 10. Whatever. That's nice. Come cook with Isaac. I'll make you a cook. What does growth look like for you in 2022? You know what? Growth is good. We Again, we tilted early, so things are good. We're kind of in the process of writing a second book. It's kind of just in my brain right now. 
I'm starting to crank up a, a little bit more TV. I'm going to do today's show next month. Um, trying to get my hot sauces and my spices into stores, grocery stores around the world. I'm partnering with Spiceology. Uh, so I've got always got a bunch of irons in the fire. I've got a couple of things I can't talk about, secret, secret, secret. But again, it's about doing as much as you can, whether it's a podcast and whether it's a commercial. Just do it. Get yourself out there. Go to a food festival. Have fun. Read another cookbook. I'm reading a cookbook about Japanese street food right now. I don't plan on doing any, but I might. might tweak it for something else in the kitchen. So I'm always trying to keep myself like invigorated with food because that's essentially why I came and did all this stuff. Because I love to cook. More importantly, I love to eat. Who do you look up to in the industry? When you're looking for inspiration, who do you look to? I look to my peers that are doing the right thing. And some of the guys who are coming out there and doing different food with different things. I have friends who are doing Southern Thai food. And I have friends doing eclectic Vietnamese food. And they're doing it properly. It's not appropriation. They're just borrowing these ideas and then utilizing South Louisiana products to highlight them that way. And I think it's just a great idea, especially nowadays, you can really get out there and do something extremely interesting and people are into it. I said before Katrina, you went to those restaurants and a new freaky restaurant opened up. People didn't go to it because they wanted their crab meat almondine or they want their trout miniere or they want their big Delmonico steak and there's nothing wrong with those dishes. But after Katrina, there was this big revolution. Like, let's go out and eat different things. And that paved the way for the meadery and different restaurants doing wild, eclectic, delicious food. So that kind of eye-opening, like, well, you know, we don't have to put on the tie. And we don't have to put on the gloves. And let the waiter wear a T-shirt. And put on your flip-flops. Wear your hat. I don't care. Foie gras on your flip-flops is a big motto here at the, at the meadery. You can get foie gras torchon and a Grand Cru grower champagne in your tank top. I don't care. Bring your wallet. So I'm always looking forward to people who are doing things the right way. People, Jose Andreas, really putting his foot forward out there, taking care of disaster relief people. Shepard Malagasy taking care of his people during COVID and whatnot. And I just looked at everybody. I was like, what? You doing something right? Well, I'm going to do that too. That's a great idea. And I hope I can inspire people with our humanitarian work. And I don't need a pat on the back. I want you to go out there and do something as well. I want you to pay it forward. So that's what I live. It's an industry podcast, and at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Yeah, especially nowadays during COVID and during these weird times, treat the restaurant your server with respect. A lot of people have lost their damn minds and have sort of act out. If you don't want to wear a mask, you don't want to get vaccinated, that's fine. That's your freedom. But if I have a sign that says that you have to have a vaccine, you have to have a mask, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else that doesn't allow that. Don't come in here and start yelling and screaming and doing and acting like an ass in front of everybody. You're just making yourself look bad. If you want to bat, write a bad review? I don't read them. You say you'll never come here again? You weren't allowed in the first place. Act properly, tip appropriately, and have a good time. I'll always be here no matter what. That's Isaac Toots. For more on Toots Meadery, visit tootsmeadery.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.